0: turn to James chapter 1. If you'd read with me. Starting back in verse 17, and we'll read down through verse 25. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now verse 22, which is we're looking at today. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being... No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed uh, in his doing. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James that we've been um, studying for several months already, and we've come to a very familiar passage to us. And uh, Father, we pray that that, uh, uh, you would work it into our hearts uh, for the sake of your glory, certainly. Uh, and for our good also. And for anyone here, Father, who does not know you, we pray that you would, um, that they would hear the gospel, um, that they would, the Spirit would give them ears to hear it, that the, the Spirit would give them eyes to see that Jesus, uh, that this gospel speaks of, and a heart to truly embrace him, to believe in him. Father, we pray that you would do all of these things knowing that you are fully able you are sufficient in strength to do all of these things, and so we pray with great comfort and great joy. In Christ's name we pray, Amen. So, I, I prayed something along those lines uh, this week, this entire week, really for all of you. Uh, some of you I prayed for by name, not because you specifically need this message or this text, but because uh, some of you I just know are, are going to be here every Sunday, and for the others I just sort of encapsulated you into anyone else who comes. But uh, including first-time visitors, but I, I, I prayed for all of you this week. I prayed for myself in regards to this, um, this text, and this is why. Because James one twenty-two through twenty-five is a familiar text, um, and sometimes um, familiarity um, causes us to be sort of complacent with which, that which we are familiar with. I, it's also a very simple passage. Um, be doers of the word pretty much breaks down to be obedient to what you read. Um, but the simplicity of this passage, you know, if we're not careful, could hide some of the beauty, or a lot of the beauty that's found within it, and so I don't want us to miss that. And the last reason that I prayed for us today in regards to this text is that it's also a pretty hard passage. It can be a tough one uh, for us to listen to. By tough, I mean it can cut us. And so those who are familiar with the very simple message of James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25, you may have been prepared for that and knew that you might be cut a little bit, Um, maybe a lot. Um, That's why I prayed, especially for all of us uh, this week. So if I were to connect this week's passage with last week's passage, which is verses 19 through 21, um, I would say it this way, hear, but don't just hear, or listen, but don't just listen. Last week, as I said, we looked at verses 19 through 21, where James is emphasizing uh, us receiving regularly, continually us receiving the implanted word in such a way that it saves us from the power of sin. So in those verses, James is not talking about being saved from the, the penalty of sin. Uh, that happened when we believed the gospel, or as he says in verse 18, when we were brought forth by the, by the word of truth. But James thrust in verses 19 through 21 is that that regular, that continual Receiving of God's Word um, helps to save us from the power of sin. And to receive the Word regularly, James tells us, that we should be quick to hear. And so that's where I get the thing that I just said. Hear, but don't just hear. And here's where I think this passage, I think, helps us. There is such a thing as being a fake Christian. I'm not talking about Christians who struggle with sin. There are, are times that all Christians hear and don't exactly do what they hear perfectly. <laughs> um, I'm not talking about those. I'm one of those. Uh, but I'm talking about a, a fake Christians, and that's really where this, this verse, this passage can cut us. The background to this passage is, as is, is Easton read from earlier, likely Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through, through 27. In that parable, Jesus is making the distinction between someone who builds his house on a good foundation and someone who builds this house on a bad foundation. From the outside observer, both houses may look equally sturdy. Uh, but when Jesus comes back, then the nature of these two builders uh, will be made clear. Uh, but even before Jesus comes back, God in his goodness has given passages passages like James 1, 22 through 25 to us to help us uh, consider uh, so, so which builder are you from the parable? Or in terms of James 1, 22 to 25, which hearer are you? The one who does or the one who walks away? So that's the first thing that I think this passage is helpful for us. Secondly, freedom looks like or is equal to looking into the perfect law uh, and then doing it. Law and liberty sound like opposites to us. If we're not seeing Jesus when we look into the law, then yes, law and liberty are very much Opposites. Without Jesus, there is no freedom ever. But if James is thinking of Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, as I believe he is, and this is a most wonderful way of describing freedom, um, which leads us to the third reason that the passage helps us. James 1:22 through 25 is not only a warning against disobedience; that's there, but it is also a mountain of encouragement for our doing or for our obedience, being motivated by a most beautiful promise. So as always, the passage is for everyone. Uh, It's for those who may believe that they are a Christian but aren't a Christian. It is for those who are struggling with their assurance because they struggle with hearing and doing more often than they would like. And it's for those who are doing well. So, So we start in verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. I think the first thing that jumps out of this verse to me, first thing that I I recognize, that maybe the most important part of a sermon, the most important, important part of maybe a flock lesson or a Sunday school class or a daily devotion is the end, is what happens at the end of it. What happens when our Bibles close? What happens when you hear the benediction stated here on Sunday morning and we walk out those doors, maybe after lunch or or whatever? What happens? Well, there are two responses. There is one who does the word and there is one who walks away and, and forgets. So what does James mean by doers of the word? Well, obviously, he doesn't mean someone who at all times never fails to do everything that the Lord commands him. We know that because no such person exists, and James acknowledges this in chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, we all stumble in many ways. But while that's true, this is a real category of people that he's laying out before us, doers of the word. And so we're going to flesh this out a bit more when we get down to verse, verse 25. But for right now, just think of the Great Commission. Matthew 28:19: Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus' command is to make disciples who do what? Who do all that the Lord has commanded them. It's pretty simple. A disciple is really synonymous, I think, with being a doer. A disciple is a a doer of what Christ commands. Not perfectly. James, as we said, has already acknowledged that no such person exists. We all struggle in, in many ways, but he tries. He pursues it. A disciple is someone who is trying by grace through faith to do all that the Lord has commanded them to do. Why? Because he wants to. And that's the big part of it. There's been a heart change. That Something has happened that's caused this person, this disciple who's become a disciple or someone who's become a doer of the word. Something has happened that's caused him to want to obey, to do. So what does James then mean by hearers of the word only? Well, the person here is, by contrast, you know, obviously someone who doesn't do the word ever? Maybe. I think context helps us here. Remember who, who, who James is writing to. It's primarily Jewish Christians who are fleeing um, murderous persecution because they believe in Jesus, and then because of that, they follow Jesus. So keep that identification in your mind as you're sort of reading through this letter. It's primarily, not only, but primarily Jewish Christians. And so what did Jewish Christians grow up on? Largely Moses and, and Abraham. From a very early age, their narrative that they grew up on was that Adam made a mess of things. He just, what Adam destroyed and made a mess of, Albra, Abraham's seed is going to come and restore it, right? So when, what, what Adam destroyed, Abraham's seed, the Messiah, is going to restore. And so that's Jesus. These people have believed in him. He's the Messiah. And he's worthy of being persecuted for. But throughout all of this, they've realized something very sobering. A very sobering lesson in their lifetime. It's possible to be devoutly, fervently Zealously religious, and still kill the Son of God. They know from their own experience that it is possible to, to be devoutly committed to hearing God's word, and when God sends His Son to crucify Him. It's possible to hear and to hear and to hear and to hear over and over and over again from Mount Sinai, from prophets, from God in flesh, and still be an enemy of God. I mentioned categories earlier, and so the hearer who only hears, I think this is the category that he's holding out. I think maybe this would have entered their mind, their experience with devoutly religious people. And so this would be the fake Christian category. As I said before, it's also the thrust of Matthew 27, 20, or 7, 24 through 27. Here's who never do, probably believe they are Christians. These are people who look regularly into the Word. And so they mix, mix among those who are Christians. They're Those who, who probably believe they are Christians because they're looking intently into the Word or the mirror just like the religious leaders that killed Jesus did. But they walk away forgetting what they saw, just like the religious leaders that killed Jesus did. We could almost say that this is akin to what James says in chapter 2, verse 14. And so, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And so, faith without works is not a saving faith, is like someone who reads the word but never does it is not a real Christian. The hearer who only, only hears, and never does, is not a Christian. But but James is holding these out, these fake believers, these fake professors out as a warning to those that he's writing to who are believers. We've said this, I think it's nine times throughout the book of, of, of James, he calls them brothers. He considers them to be Christians. And so he's using hearers who only hear as a warning to those who sometimes only hear. So it's like in verses 26 through 27, Christians who don't bridle their tongues, don't do what they always hear. Or Christians who who don't seek the help or the aid of those who need it, don't always do what they need. So James' words, be doers of the word and not hearers only, is another command that helps really save us from the power of sin. That's what last week was about. Five commands that help us fight sin, or maybe it was four, I can't remember, if this is the fifth or the sixth one. It helps us fight the power of sin. Warnings help save us from the power of sin. So, so part of this is not only to this category that's held out there as an example of what not to be, but also weaker or less mature Christians, believers who are struggling with doing and what they read and hear. So those are the categories. Doers who do what they hear. Hearers who are always only hearers. And hearers uh, or doers who are sometimes only hearers. Sometimes. So, so which one of us are we? <laughs> James starts with the hear. Verse 23 is a powerful illustration. The hearer only, uh, the hearer who only hears, is like a man who has a mirror in front of him. And he looks intently at it. He studies his face. He sees the disfigurements or the marks or whatever it might be, his complexion. He's studying it. He knows what he looks like. That's verse 23. That's good. That's fine. Nothing wrong there. But then he walks away and forgets what he was like. So he walks away and he forgets what he was like. And we might think that James is is talking about something like this or he's imagining something like this. And so th- today I'm going to use the faggards as a, as a as an illustration. I didn't ask permission ahead of time, but people usually say no, so the Faggots are, imagine the Faggots are having several families over to their house for some fellowship. Christian's busy in the house getting things prepared. Evan's walking through the house, and he sees a big spread of chips and and salsa on the table, and so he looks around to make sure Christian's not looking. He takes a chip, he dips it in the salsa, and he puts it into his mouth, and after this, he walks over to to, the, to a mirror to look to see if he's presentable. People are about to come. And he notices that salsa has dribbled from his mouth down his chin. And so it's, you know, down his chin. You can, you can see it even on the, the the beard that he has. You can see the salsa just hanging there. Um, and so he's about to wipe it, and the phone rings. And so he picks up the phone, and one of the families that's coming to the house is, can't find the house and so they're asking for directions and so he's he's not wiping it off he's busy giving the directions i'll get to that in a second and as he's busy giving directions to the people who are lost he hears the doorbell ring and with the phone in hand as he's giving directions he walks over to the door and he opens the door to the people who knew how to get there and he opens the door and the guest says you have something on your chin evan forgot what he saw in the mirror he was distracted by other things and he forgot and so is that what what james is talking about I, I, don't, I don't think so. We might think that James' point is something like that, but it's far worse. The person in James's scenario doesn't merely forget because he got distracted. It's a volitional thing. It's a, it's a volitional uh, forgetting. Um, it's far worse. It's a forgetting on purpose. I think that's the point that James is, is, is making here. And it's far worse because it's not just an actual mirror that, that shows us you know, salsa on our chin. It's a, the mirror is the word of God and it shows us our sin. And so a biblical example would be Saul. And So Saul is king. He's busy chasing after David. David's hiding in a cave. Saul goes into the cave to take a nap. He takes a nap and while he's taking a nap, David goes over and he cuts off a piece of, you know, Saul's robe and he backs up and Saul wakes up. He leaves the cave and then David comes out and he says, look, look what I'm holding. I could have killed you. And What does Saul do he he sort of looks into a mirror He he looks at David and he says you're more righteous than I he saw something in David that he wasn't But does that change him? No, he turns he walks away forgets what he saw so he didn't just forget it did not slip his mind He, He pushed it out there was something else that he wanted so what does he do? He forgets and he chases after David what happens next same thing Saul falls asleep David sneaks up he takes his spear a jug of water calls out from a hill, in the sunlight, uh, to Saul so that Saul can know that I, I could have killed you again. And so, what does Saul say? He responds. He looks into the mirror again, sort of, as he looks at David, and he says, I'm a sinner. Well, does that change him? No. A short time later, he's chasing after David again. He's a forgetful hearer. He forgets on purpose. And so, this happens on several different levels. Fake Christians so 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. So verse 3 is crucial there. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Coming to know Jesus comes first. We're not saved by anything other than belief upon Christ, in Christ, His person his work, the keeping of the commandments comes after as, as proof or evidence of the having come to know him. So, so doing the word or keeping his commandments is not what saves us. Doing the word is a fruit of being saved. It's a fruit of a new nature. And that's what James has been jumping all over throughout this section. So verse 18, true Christians have been brought forth by the word of truth. They've been raised, they've been born again, they've been given life, and have been given a new nature. Again, verse 18. And so they've been freed from the dominion of sin and are slaves to righteousness. Romans uh, chapter six. They have been recreated after the likeness of God and righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter four. So that's verse eighteen. Then in verse twenty one, true Christians have the word implanted with within them that continues to save them from the power of sin as they continue to constantly receive it. Verse 21, the implanted word keeps giving life. And so verse 18, God brings us forth by his own word and he causes us to be born again. He gives us a new nature. And verse 21 continues to to feed that new nature and to give it life. And so verse 25, true Christians want to put the word they read and hear into practice, which we'll get to next. So true Christians can't be hearers only, always. It's not their nature. So hearers only always, aren't believers. This is scary truth. There are pastors, there are theologians, there are people who just love sermons, (laughs) who fit this category. They're not trying to kill Jesus. Like the religious leaders, they're just trying not to follow him. You can love to read, love to study, love to listen to well-preached, well-ordered, well-structured sermons, but but over and over and over again, still walk away and forget who you are. Never changing, never intending to. There might be somebody in this very room just like that, sitting right here in our pews, just like that. Is what the mirror of God, God's word telling you, uh, what is it telling you? But by this, verse 3, John, 1 John 2, by this we know that we've come to know him if, if we keep his commandments. If it is, if you think this might be you, then I would say don't push this away, don't walk away and forget. I would say to you that every doer of the word in the salvific sense who has come to know him and keeps his commandments because of that. Every person who is now a doer of the word was in that exact same position before. So don't let what someone might think scare you away. Don't let how it might look to others cause you to, to push it away. Turn to Christ. Believe the gospel. R- repent of your, your do-nothing hearing don't think I just need to start doing. That, that comes after. That doing doesn't save you. Believing does. So if you're a do-nothing here, hear this, believe and be saved. But even Christians can, t- sometimes not always, but sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, be hearers only. So let me ask us all a question. Were any of you convicted by last week's sermon? Maybe you're not very quick to listen. Maybe you felt the sting of James's words be, you know, slow to speak or be slow to anger. Anyone? Anyone feel conviction from, from just that text itself? What did you do Monday? What did you do Tuesday? What did you do Wednesday? After that. You get, you get it, Right? You're a hearer only, or were. We all do it. I remember from one of Kiefer's sermons on Philemon, he said, I think it was a minor point, but he said, how sinful it is for us to tell people that we'll pray for them and then don't. Was that the first sermon? Maybe the second? I felt the sting that morning, and I remember that, telling someone that day after the sermon that I'd be praying for them. And then I saw them the next Sunday, and I hadn't prayed for them. I walked away and I forgot. We all do that. We we hear a sermon, we read a devotion. How many sermons have we let walked away from unchanged? How many devotions? How many times have we read the Bible and we walked away unchanged by it? What's really going on? How can someone see something so wrong in themselves, as they look into the Word and just walk away, wouldn't their consciences just eat them alive? When We see ourselves in the mirror, we we see our sin for repentance to take place, the conscience must come in. And there are three components to it, I think, that are helpful. The first element of the conscience is the rule. In this passage, it's the mirror of, it's, it's the Word of God. And so James might be thinking of the law itself, the Ten Commandments. But honestly, it could be anything. It could be one of Jesus' parables that we read from earlier. Or it could be studying a character in a narrative, like Naomi and Ruth. Naomi says, Call me you know, bitter. Call me Mara. But we look into it, we ask, Does this rule require, what, what does it require of me? In terms of Naomi, it's don't be bitter. There's a second component in the conscience, and that's the witness. As the witness, we take that rule and we compare our lives to that. And so do I measure up to this rule that I've just read in terms of Mara, am I bitter? Or if I'm reading the Ten Commandments, am I obeying this or, or, or not? And then, after the witness gives our answer, the witness will give us an answer. Yes, you are being obedient to this, or no, you're being disobedient to this. Then comes the third component, which is the judge. At this point, our conscience either condemns us Or it it affirms us. Either it tells us that we're guilty or it tells us that we're innocent. Either it eats us up or it affirms us. The problem with with hearers who forget on purpose, their conscience is corrupted with self-love. Love of self. And so because of love of self, what do we do with the rule? We minimize the rule. We change the rule. We move the goalposts of the rule. So go back to verse 19. Be slow to anger. Anger is a sin. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so what does the, the person who has a corrupted conscience, what does he do with that? Well, because of self-love, he says, that, that's, that's really not talking about me that, and my anger. That's talking about someone else and, and their anger. It's something that hurts other people. I don't hurt other people. I'm not that guy. So again, we move the goalposts. What about the witness? Okay, yes, I, I do have... Unrighteous anger, I do know that that's a sin, but I'm also a pretty good person. People like me. I serve in other ways. I'm not as bad as some. And so we we do that, we lessen it, we mitigate the witness. And then at this point, the judge has nothing to judge. We've taken everything from him. He's silent. The end result is that there is no change whatsoever. And so just as verse 22 says, he's deceived himself or she's deceived herself. Self-deception is when, you know, there's a disconnect between what we think we are and what we actually are. An example of that is I believe I can cook in an incredible Thanksgiving turkey. Reality, I've burned the last two. Last year's was literally on fire. This year, my wife said, sweetly, why don't we just get one from the smoke pit and save, you know, all of that so that you, you know, don't get so upset. I said, no, I can do it that's self-deception but the danger arises exponentially when when self-deception spills over into spiritual matters the most dangerous form of self-deception is is when the divide is between what we are spiritually and what we think we are spiritually the unbeliever who thinks he is a believer don't deceive yourselves Here's what the Bible tells you. Here's here's your rule. It's for all of us. But number one, God only accepts perfect righteousness. Nothing less. That's it. Number two, we do not have this kind of righteousness. None of us do. Number three, this righteousness is found only in Jesus Christ. In Christ alone is this righteousness found. Number four, this righteousness comes to us by grace through faith. That's the only way, in Christ alone. And number five, God transforms those who receive this righteousness. So if you're sitting here today, what is the witness saying to you? What is your witness saying? That's the rule. What's your witness saying? How do you measure up if you believed one through four? Are numbers three and four, the sum of your hope? Well, if that's true, then verse five will be true as well. God will be transforming you. So now the judge, does your conscience at this moment condemn you or affirm you? I'd love to talk to you after the service if you're struggling with this. I'd love to to peer further into the word and help you see it as a perfect law of liberty, which is where we go next. And I think in this verse, there's obviously some more measuring, but I think it also helps us understand how to look into God's word and find some encouragement. So verse 25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I'm going to be pretty brief here because I think we've done most of the legwork. But the, the, the doer looks. The word for looks is literally stoops down to look. Lots of examples in the Bible. This Peter as he looks into the empty two in John chapter 20, verse 5. Or as the angels stoop down to look to see what the gospel is going to do with all of this, all these people and how it's going to do all of its stuff. First Peter 1, And so the doer looks intently, he studies it. We can also say, I guess, he hears. So the doer, I think, the first thing we say, the doer hears. He looks into God's word he's not measuring his doing or finding out how to do his doing based on what other people are doing he's not going to church because that's just what Christians do he's not serving in the nursery because you know, that's what other people are serving other, other places and so I should serve other places he's not giving money because you know, that's just what Christians do they, they tithe, they give you know, 10% and no more No, he does because he sees it in God's Word. He does because he hears it from God's Word. So the doer hears, looks intently into the Word of God. Secondly, the doer perseveres in his looking. So the perseverance there is connected to the looking, not to the the doing so much. And so I think the idea here is a couple of things. The first is keep looking. The doer keeps looking. The, The hearer only looked intently, right? Verse 23, Verse twenty five, they they both look intently. But, but the, the, the doer keeps looking, constantly keeps looking. He sees things that you know that aren't good as he looks into the into the word. He sees that thou shalt not covet. He says don't he sees that don't love the world. He sees he sees in Ephesians four, don't don't lie to one another. The doer sees things about himself that are sinful, but he doesn't walk away. He keeps looking. He, he perseveres in his look. That's one thing. He doesn't walk away. Also, the word stays with him. Another translation there is abide, but it abides with him, he abides with it. The word stays. He doesn't forget it. So what's, what's different about how the doer looks from how the hearer looks? Or even the hearer who looks or hears sometimes and doesn't do? They both are looking, in, as I said, to, into the mirror, but something is different. They, they both see ugly things about themselves. They both see sins, but something's different about what the, what the doer is seeing. Why doesn't he forget what he says? Why doesn't he walk away? Think back to the religious leaders and the, these that James is writing to. In John 8, 56-59, "...your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad." So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, have you seen, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. They didn't believe him, right? They didn't see him for who he really is. They were hearers only, and so they tried to kill him. But others, like those that James is writing to, did. They believed Jesus. And so when he said, follow me, they followed after him. We could look at example after example after example of that. I and my Father are one. Some heard Him and, and believed and some didn't and tried to kill Him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some heard and weren't saved. Some did and were. The key here to everything is Christ. If you're a false Christian, you hear and walk away and forget. Not, not because you just don't like what you see. You see something about yourself and God's Word that you don't like, but you have no real power. You see it, you know you sin, but you have no real power to change it. So you move the goalposts so your conscience doesn't eat you alive. And for the Christian who sometimes only hears, does does much the same thing but different, you see something you don't like and you try to walk away and forget, but it's not working. Your redeemed conscience, if you're a believer, isn't letting you just walk away, and it won't. Francis uh, Thompson refers to God from Psalm 139, where can I go to get away from you, refers to him as the the hound of heaven. if 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 you're his, the hound of heaven will continue to pursue you and chase you until your conscience won't let you. Keep running. But but Jesus is the, is the key to all of this, which brings us to the perfect law of liberty, the third thing in, in verse 25. The doer perseveres and is looking into this perfect law of liberty. Well, what is this? Well, first, it's perfect, meaning it's complete. There's nothing lacking in it. And so it's perfectly suited to our needs, it's perfectly suited to give us freedom, liberty. And it's a law. A law equals freedom. I'll answer that in three answers, no, no, and yes. A law equals freedom, no, no, and yes. What I mean by that is it's three uses of the law. First use of the law is a counselor, it shows us who we are, we're sinners, is that liberty? No. Second use of the law is that it's a lawyer, it prosecutes us for being sinners, does that equal freedom and liberty? No. If you're reading the Bible and that's all you see when you come to the commands in the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't really matter. If all you see is the law is something to show you that you're a sinner and to prosecute you for it, you're not likely going to keep looking. You're not likely to not walk away. You're not likely to abide with it and not forget it. You're not likely to want to keep it with you, to mull over and to to ponder and to, to meditate. If that's what you're doing, you'll find a way to, to not do what well, the third use of the law is promoting, which is freedom. And so the f- third use of the law, the law as a guide, is what true freedom looks like. You know what it looks like? Or you know who it looks like? It looks like Jesus. There's an experiment that scientists have that allows people to see clearly the differences in their faces. And so what they do, they sit across from one another, and between them is a glass. And this glass is like a half-mirror, half-reflective piece of glass. And so they can sort of see through it, but they also see, you know, their own face. And so it's designed for you to sort of line up your faces with the person across from you and to sort of, then you can kind of see where the, 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 the differences are be- between you. Now, it can do nothing to, to make your faces line up perfectly, but it can show you the differences. The law as a guide, the perfect law of freedom with the Spirit using it to mold us, in God's hands does change us. And it shows us what we are becoming if we come to know Jesus. So Second Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The context in that passage is... Is the law. The law, with no help from the Spirit pointing us to Christ, kills us. There is no freedom in the law without the Spirit pointing us to Christ. But with the Spirit's help, we see Jesus when we look into God's Word. And when we do that, there is freedom. And so, back to the half mirror. If the, if the Bible is fully a mirror, reflecting only back to you what you are, then you're not going to love what you see because all you see is yourself. But if the Bible is a half mirror that we are, then we're going to love what we see because we see Jesus and we see ourselves in him. That helps me understand why Paul loves the doctrine of unity in Christ so much. Remember Ephesians 1 in Christ in Christ in Christ in Christ. In Christ we are chosen, in Christ we are adopted, in Christ we are redeemed, in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are sealed. If we're in Christ, then we should see Jesus everywhere in the Scriptures as we look. All of the Scriptures find their reference point in Him. And so when we look at the law, it does hit us as a counselor and a prosecutor. We do see ourselves, we do see our sins, but because the Bible is a half mirror for us believers, we also see Jesus as the one who has kept the law for us and the one who has died our death for us, for our sin. When we line up our faces, we see ourselves as justified. We are sinners, but at the same time, we see that we are clothed in His righteousness. And when we look through all the different imperatives in the Bible, we see that they are perfectly suited for our freedom. Why? Because we are created in the image of God as believers and recreated after His image in righteousness and holiness through, through regeneration. In that point, the law was actually written upon our hearts. So the imperatives in the Bible don't constrain our freedom. They constrain what limits our freedom, and that is sin. For the believer to try to live apart from God's word is like a fish trying to live apart from water. The law as a guide gives us freedom to be who we ought to be. And so Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of uh, flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you're a believer, that's why your consciences won't let you, you know, walk away and forget. That's why walking away and forgetting feels like anxiety or feels like you can't sleep. It's why you're so irritable. If that's you, then my my exhortation application to you is to keep looking, keep reading, keep listening. Don't walk away, don't try to forget, but keep reading your Bibles the way it's meant to be by looking at Jesus. So, if all you're seeing is your sin, then see that and repent, but then shift your image and see Christ. Look at Jesus who opened on his mouth when he was reviled if you struggle with being quick to to speak. Because that's the image that God is conforming you to. If you're quick to anger, look at Jesus who is gentle and lowly in heart. That's the image that God is conforming you to. If you're reading your Bible and all you see is you, shift your gaze and look to Christ. Shift your gaze from yourself and, and look to Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, See him and see yourself in him. If you do, you will be blessed in all you're doing. This is where I end. Blessed, how? Well, for one, if you look and persevere and you're looking into God's word and do what it says, he will bless you. I think that means that he will take your doing and make it look like Jesus. That you will become more like Christ. But another thing I think it gives us is Assurance. That despite the differences in your image from Christ's image, you are still being transformed. And so you can be assured that you are saved, being saved, and will be saved. That you are saved from the penalty of sin, are being saved from the power of sin, and will be saved from the presence of sin. And this helps to give you assurance. Sinclair Ferguson said assurance comes through faith in Christ. It's encouraged by walking with Christ. So so Christ and who he is and what he did, that's the foundation of of our assurance. It's not resting upon our works. It's not looking at our flimsy works. It's looking to him and his perfect work and his perfect person. But our assurance of believing in that is aided by us then walking with him. It encourages our assurance. So is that you? Which one is you? In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. If you're a possible unbeliever, maybe you're questioning your salvation. I don't know if you're saved or if you're not. But it's worth the conversation and it's worth looking into God's Word to see Jesus together. And if that's you, then I would again ask you not to push it away, not to walk away, not to try and forget to seek out the help from your elders. And let us help walk you through that. Look to Christ together. Or maybe you know you're not a believer here this morning. A child, an adult. You know you're not. You know you have nothing, no affection within you to want to be like Christ or follow after Christ. You know you're not that. Well, if that's you, then I would say, again, don't try to do But believe. Believe the gospel that tells us that Christ did everything for us that God requires. Believe and rest in Him. From that comes doing. But only as fruit, not as a a basis. And for us who are believers, the law as a guide is good for you. When I was a kid, all, um, all I wanted to do was play basketball. When I was in sixth grade, entire summer, every day, I didn't play with my friends, I didn't go to movies, I don't think we had, I guess we had movie theaters back then, not that old. I didn't play video games, I didn't, that might be before video games though, I, I didn't do anything that my friends were doing. I went to a basketball court every day and I played basketball. Sometimes I would strap one arm to my side and I'd have these little glasses under my face that would, so I couldn't see the ground or see the ball, and I would just dribble and play basketball all day long. I sacrificed so, so that I could do something I really wanted. I, I, I valued being good at basketball over playing with my friends. And it enabled me in the future, I wasn't great, but it enabled me to do things on the courts that I couldn't have done otherwise. I had a freedom with the skill that I had to be able to play sort of like I wanted to. The law does that. Us approaching the law as a guy does that. We're giving up things that, that don't matter, things that hinder us, hinder our freedom. We're sacrificing things that hinder our freedom in order for us to be able to walk as we ought to walk. And over time, we get greater skill by the Spirit through the means of grace so that we can walk in ways even more freely, even more like Jesus in the future. And so that's how you should view the law as a guide. It enables your freedom. It promotes your freedom because it helps you to be as you ought to be, more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. um, We pray that you would um, speak this text into all of our hearts for the various needs that we have. A very general statement, all of us walk away from sermons unchanged, all of us walk away from devotions or reading the Bible in ways that are, doesn't show evidence of change. And so Father, we pray that you would Change our minds about that. If we're believers, Father, we pray that you would impress upon us the joy and the contentment and the freedom that is found in doing what your word says. Father, we pray that you would do that for, for those of us who think we're doing pretty well and for those of us who know we are struggling. But Father, for the person here who does not know you at all, who may even think that he does, but doesn't. It's, again, something that only you can impress upon them. And so, Father, I pray that you would, that you would use your word as a guide, as a mirror to show who they are. Father, we pray also that you would give them eyes to see who Christ is and all that can be found in him that is good. Thank you, and we love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.